Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the Rabbit Hole Podcast. You are listening to the Rabbit Hole Podcast. Right now we're up early in the morning trying to make it happen, trying to get it and perfect podcasting. Today our discussion is going to be around innovations in internet networking. A guest, someone who's been in the networking industry for uh, quite a few years now. I'll probably say maybe 15, maybe even more. And I would like to introduce him. Tim, are you there? I am. Good morning. Hey. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for being on, man. Right now you're on the Rabbit Hole podcast, and wanted to. Man, it sounds like you're like you know somewhere out here in the universe, man. Just really laid back at six thirty in the morning. <laughs> yeah, you know we have to do it moving. Uh, my day normally starts around three thirty a.m. So. I'm about uh, half a mile away from San Francisco State, um, out here putting in some work. I know it's pretty early yeah. out here on the uh, coast. A lot of leaders actually start their day. They normally are the ones that start their day before anyone else. So this right here is that goes into what we're actually talking about this morning. Um, you. What's up with you, man? What you been working on? Well, first I want to make a quick comment on that last remark. I don't know if uh, working um, to the nth degree is the solution for everybody. I don't think I fall quite into that category. But I guess if you love what you do, you really don't consider it work. You're absolutely right, man. See, a lot of from you know a lot of stuff that I do, or a lot of stuff that I've seen some of the people that I've actually spoken to on these podcasts. They they don't really do what they do because they're actually chasing a check, right? They're mm-hmm. doing it because they're they're following their passion. Mm-hmm. What they what they do, so you know they they will go ahead and stay up all night and work out complex problems or issues or talk to mentors about um, you know continue to better themselves and study. I think it's good if you can if your interest your personal interest overlaps with your your income stream. You know you can monetize your interest then that works out well. But if your your income is from a different source, you have to go out and earn it doing something that doesn't line up well with your personal interest, it can be exhausting. Funny how the universe works, right? So all week, all week now, I've been listening to other talk shows and motivational speakers, and I came up on this guy by the name of Les Brown. Yes, the motivational speaker. He's a motivational speaker, so I was actually just listening to him before we started this podcast here today. And, and basically, his thing is exactly that, right? Why be in a why be in something that you have no passion? Why why are you someplace? Don't be in a place where you just focus on the money because you're gonna be in a situation where you're gonna not liking what you you're liking. And and energy and forgetting about those things that you really really passionate. Right. Definitely follow your heart. Work to your strengths. Right. Follow those things that you really really thoroughly enjoy. Because what happens is um, when when you begin uh, working in areas uh, that you really working to your strengths that it's not about the money and then the most interesting thing about money would be is that money will actually come from places that because people um, will actually see your passion they will see you know what that, that it's not about the money with you it's about your soul and your spirit yeah, look, um, my take on that is, in an ideal world, I think that's true. I think for many people, of which I'm, I'm one, 
the practical transition from starting out on a path where, for instance, I started out with psychology because I I was very interested in that subject. Um, But the practicality of it required that um, I needed to temporarily leave school, I needed to get a job, I started in technology. It wasn't quite my passion, but it was something that I needed to do. I ended up evolving into that field. But it took me away from my, my true passion. And at a certain point, when I was able to return to it, I had to make a decision about whether to go back and retool uh, my skill set in the field that I love, which required right. double down, right? I had to double down on time and effort and money. I had to continue doing my day craft to keep my income going to support my family and um, all the things I need to do to run my day-to-day life. But I also had to invest in my other alternative, uh, you know, where my heart was. And um, that was a long grind, you know, to take, uh, you know, 10 years or so out of your life to start over at, you know, first position on your dreams. So it's ideal when you're starting out and you're fresh out of high school, perhaps, and you're able to do anything you want to take the time to learn Mm -hmm. what it is the heart desires and then grow in that field. Then you'll have a, a, a lifetime of love. Um, on the other hand, when you are practically doing one thing and you're trying to make a switch into something else, it requires some amount of time to do both. And often, my experience has been that amount of effort breaks a lot of people. It just, you know, if you have kids and a demanding job and, uh, you know, maybe things you're trying to do to maintain your health and uh, forward-looking, you know, all of those things combine, and then you have to also contribute time and money and effort into the field you would like to get into. That's a long haul. It's very difficult to make that switch. And when you get done, for example, you go back to school and train in a new field, um, you've sunk another, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars into that new field. And when you get out, you're at the beginning, right? You have no experience. You just have kind of theoretical knowledge. So you take a pay cut. You start over in a new field. You have to redevelop and retool. Um, it's a tough transition to make once you're out of those early years. Yeah. <clears throat> yes. You might be right in some, some cases. Um, and that's an interesting perspective to look at. Um, I'm, you know, I've been in situations like that myself. So, so getting back to you, what are you currently working on? Um, that's a, um, as, as we briefly spoke about earlier in the week, that's a difficult thing to say. Um, I'm a uh, product uh, development engineer for a large telecommunications company. Um, I work on, um, new technology development. Um, most of my time is ordinarily spent on researching, designing, planning, developing, or evaluating uh, advanced technology, things that don't yet exist, um, and or translating requirements, or in some cases, uh, business objectives into a product design. Um, most of that is around in-depth assessments of application needs, um, network modeling, prototyping, simulating testing, uh, consulting, um, and then clarifying needs um, from client sponsors um, or the people who are paying for this new development. That, that sounds interesting, man. Aren't you amazed of, of, of how far Internet technologies or this network technology has come? You know, back in the days, uh, 20 years ago, where folks were just uh, starting to, you know, use their little 56 or 28.8 baud rate uh, login through a modem into the Internet. Using applications like uh, Windows 3.1 or Windows for work groups and things like that, that was just very, very bulky. And I think back then it was, what, was it Netscape was like one of the first mm-hmm. Netscape and Explorer mm-hmm. trying to log in, get your email over one of those. I think the highest mm-hmm. at that point was like 56. Hey, it was, it was bananas. But, um, you know, it, it, from from that point forward, you know, then there was the ISDN, um, then there was, what do you think about the progression in technology to where it is? Well, um, I'll say that I think my experience 
has been, um, I don't know, at least maybe for someone in the telecommunications industry, it's not unique perhaps. But I think relative to a lot of other people, it's been unique because at the time um, that I, you and I, we both uh, worked at the same company um, doing real-time equities and options data broadcasting. I left there and went to, at the time, it was Pacific Bell Internet, and it was at the beginning, as you mentioned, with dial-up um, access to the Internet, uh, Netscape's IPO. I remember being at the data broadcasting in the IPO. Shortly after that, um, switching over to telecom, it allowed me to grow with the industry's growth. So I, right. I spent a fair amount of time in the call center building calls from individuals who are just getting onto the Internet and all of their day-to-day problems. Um, and then I did a lot of uh, local area networking, uh, building uh, laptops and desktops and servers and connecting uh, small enterprises, um, that time PacBell and Nevada Bell, um, enterprise customers. Uh, then I went to the Network Operations Center, um, really having a holistic view of the entire network. But at that point, it was more keeping it running, uh, about authentication and uh, network failures and uh, watching what the engineers who were doing the build uh, building were doing at the time and then keeping the enterprise customers up and operational, more of a monitoring uh, type of function, but it allowed me to learn various different areas. Um, from there, I went on to infrastructure engineering to build out a lot of um, the Pacific region uh, for that particular company. Um, which was good. I um, learned a lot about regulated uh, mini-pop uh, development and laying out core lines and administrative networks and how to do all the routing and switching, um, and that was good. And from there on to edge engineering, um, which is a different type of uh, access architecture, um, and uh, ultimately left there and went into metropolitan and wide area networking um, outside the U.S., Europe, Middle East, Asia, Africa, uh, Latin America, and Canada. So uh, throughout the years, I've had a chance to evolve with the growth of the Internet uh, for both individual users, enterprise users, um, and um, large companies connecting countries. So I I think I have a, you know, a, a sort of a unique uh, perspective on Because you've actually kind of grown along with the progression of uh, the Internet, and with that progression, you've actually progressed in your own and knowledge mm-hmm. is very interesting and very fascinating of how your your career actually progressed along with um you know how internet technologies have actually grown so so give us some perspective give some of those folks that's listening how are we able to use these digital phone lines to you know run podcasts look at facebook have, you know, be able to receive information on our cell phones. From the way that I view it, you cross a lot of different boundaries. Um, right. uh, often networking is, uh, at least traditionally, it's looked at in terms of an access layer where your end users uh, reach into the domain of a service provider, whoever that service provider happens to be. And then there's a distribution layer. Uh, within that distribution layer, there's an entire set of technology that is built around aggregating a lot of users into a um, a part of the network where they can be concentrated, and then they're handed off into the core. Uh, the core often is referred to as a backbone, uh, huge pipes that carry a lot of different types of traffic. Some of that traffic is video, some of it's audio, some of it's, um, it could be anything, pure data, pictures, uh, any type, anything and everything um, is compressed and then transported across the core. Uh, some of it's filtered, some of it's redirected. Uh, it depends on where the source is coming from and where the ultimate destination is. Um, but within each of those uh, access, distribution, and core layers, there's an entire set of technologies. I think you, know, you mentioned um, cloud computing. Um, probably today, uh, at least from where I sit, there is a big push to go to virtualization. Um, it's um, I know that VMware happens to be one of the major players, but there are many. Um, it's the process of switching from a hardware to a uh, software uh, platform where um, you're enabling multiple machines to run on, in some cases, single blades. Uh, from mm-hmm. a provider point of view, streamline uh, your cost. When you say uh, single, single blade, 
When you say single blade, what exactly do you mean by single blade? Um, think of uh, virtual machines as uh, one or two or three or n number of computers running inside of one individual computer. Uh, therefore, you as an administrator, for example, may be able to manage one host or one server. But inside of that server, you have four or five or ten or fifty other companies who are running their servers for email, web servers, whatever. They have many different applications. So you're able to essentially concentrate um, a lot of uh, users uh, into, um, I don't know how to put it, but um, kind of a, an architecture that allows kind of an automated on-demand application delivery, um, even for mobility, but at an extremely large scale. Right, right, and 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 it's interesting that individuals know that type of stuff because it's just not your computer. Just you know, pull, you're pulling up, um, you know, Facebook or you know your your email systems. There's just a lot of technology that's actually working behind that. You know, and, and, you know, there's a lot of security. There's a lot of uh, you know networking technologies. What is your understanding about the security aspects? Of network. My knowledge of security, I think, is limited to device level uh, security, which is, I suppose is probably a very small part. Um, on routers and switches, we use ACLs or access control lists, where you um, within within um, communications in general, um, it's called an OSI model. There are seven different layers. Um, with zero being the physical layer and all the way up to seven uh, being the application layer. Um, typically, uh, ACLs are applied at layer three, uh, and these are uh, because Internet traffic is at layer three, uh, delivered right. uh, at layer three. So these ACLs are applied on individual routers so that you can block traffic that you don't want and allow traffic to pass through that you do want. Um, then you have malicious hackers and um, you know, individual users that are doing things that may be disruptive to other users. Therefore, you have to protect those individual um, routers uh, and customers. Um, but there are lots of different ways to handle it. You can handle it through virtual private networking, you can handle it through ACLs. Um, there are also other higher-level 4 through 7 uh, filters that you can put on uh, different types of devices. And uh, depending on the type of network, uh, can be implemented uh, in many different ways. That that is not my area of specialty, so my knowledge is limited to the things that I've done in the past. Um, but it's right. it's its own domain um, in and it's, of itself. It is actually that's one of my favorite aspects of um, networking is the security aspects of it. So, so how did you actually choose a career in technology? Did you choose it, or did you choose? Well. Many years ago when um, I was at um, Data Broadcasting Corporation, um, I remember reading an article, and first, let me back up a little bit. Uh, I was, at the time, involved uh, with the Pan-African Student Union uh, at San Francisco State, and I remember uh, learning a great deal about, uh, at the time, may not have been as well-known, Mandela and um, Stephen Biko and Pan-Africanism mm-hmm. in general. And at the yes. same time, I happened to be working at a broadcasting corporation. And I don't know from where it may, it was at work. Um, I read an article called Africa Wired. And the article went into great detail about how um, the infrastructure wasn't developed and uh, how there was a lot of trouble um, with making things like simple phone calls um, because the power wasn't there, <clears throat> uneven roads, it was difficult digging trenches to lay down fiber, uh, all the reasons why it was hard to develop communications uh, in Africa. And I just happened to be interested in it at that time. And I remember thinking, I want to do that. I want to go to Africa, and I want to build networks, and uh, that's going to be my contribution to humanity. Um, so uh, I literally, from that moment, started uh, kind of working my way through, getting to the point where I learned how to design a network, with the goal of building one a telecommunications infrastructure in Africa. Wow, wow. So it w- it was just that insight from you actually reading that article of these types of technologies that's 
not really thoroughly developed in the U.S. are definitely not on the motherland in the motherland. So from that right there, it gave you gave you that insight, and 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 sparked your curiosity. It, it seems to be seems to me that you know what? Let me go ahead and actually learn about this stuff. So now, it, it, as you said earlier on in our podcast here, that you kind of gone from you know uh, you know the ground level, the the end user support type person to actually uh, building and maintaining large uh, infrastructure, l- large network infrastructures for major corporations. So you actually get to see, you know, exactly how you actually started to where you are today. And, and that shift and that gain in knowledge has been tremendous. What skills do you need to be effective in your field? That's difficult. Um, I, I really, I don't think there's a silver bullet. Um, that is, I don't think there's a, a single thing that you can do to be effective um, I tell my kids often that I have a lot of uh, bad days, Um, days where I wake up in the morning and I feel completely competent and I'm able to go in and tackle whatever might come my way. And um, within an hour, I have already made numerous mistakes, um, which I spend the rest of the day worrying about how to recover. Um, (laughs) It it happens every day. Um, I'll tell you a a quick story I share with my daughter. Um, just yesterday, um, on Thursday of this week, I, I, that very scenario happened. I woke up, I was ready, um, I had a long day of different uh, deep dives on different topics to cover, and um, I was confronted with questions that I simply didn't know the answer to and um, was under a tight time constraint. Uh, I left beat and bruised up. Um, I made some serious errors, and at one point, I literally, quite literally, had a panic attack in the middle of one of these uh, technical reviews of which I was leading. Um, Mm -hmm. And I knew it, and everybody else knew it. But um, I just kept thinking as I was telling my younger kids, you know, when it's all falling apart, just keep going. It's okay. It's all right to be you. It's okay to make a mistake. Just keep going. And I did. I got through it. At the end of the day, though, I worried. I thought about it all night. I don't think I slept at all that night. I woke up the next morning and was pleasantly surprised that I was invited back to be a contributor or an advisor on this particular topic, um, which made me think, well, maybe the former day wasn't as bad as I thought. Nah, it was. Right. right? It was It was that bad. But I was happy that they thought enough of my contribution to invite me back again as an advisor. So I did. The second day was worse than the first. So <laughs> let me just tell you, um, you have uh, lots of days where there are so many things that you need to know. Um, I spend at least six hours a day reading technical material, and I often um, am conscious that I don't know something. There's a great deal that I don't know. Um, And so uh, I consult with subject matter experts in a lot of different domains, and I know that they know more than I do, which is why I consult with them. So I may know 20, 30, 40% of what they understand, and it's intimidating and often very difficult to, to stay in an environment where everybody around you knows more than you do about their particular area of expertise. I know a, a little bit or maybe a sufficient amount about all of their areas, but I don't know as much as they do. So you're at least in my case, I constantly feel I need to know more. I feel a bit inadequate. I feel emotionally unprepared. And often they raise those questions that I don't know the answers to, right? And that's across mm. many different domains. Uh, it's just but such a large field that you can't it, know it everything about everything. Field. You can't know everything about everything, but it's good to know a little bit about something than nothing, right? So I, sure. I find find the strength in... You know, although you might have to go to those uh, SMEs, those SMEs, um, to you know gather information to help you um, do your job better, but you go between all of these groups to get, you know, like you said, 30, 40% of what they know. So you actually know this about a little bit of everything that's going on from the technology perspective, from the operational perspective, from the business aspect. I find just having those this of knowledge in all those areas actually help you become more effective. Um, and and, and I, I think there's a level of humility when you actually bomb on something, right? You're, you're in a presentation, you bomb. But you know what? At the end of the day, we are all human, and those things happen. 
And even better, you know, I, I think the people in those groups that invited you back, they understand that, you know what, we are human. You make mistakes, but you know what? You are an effective leader. You know exactly what you're doing. You had an off day because you've had probably a hundred better days than that one off day. We've all had them at work. And really, I think the moral of the story here is, at least from what I take away from it, and I like for um, our listeners to actually see this for themselves, that even when the uh, the going gets tough, I know it's going to be all corny, but uh, you got to continue moving forward. It's definitely a marathon. It's not a race. We make those mistakes. We stumble. We get back on the ground. Um, we get back up. Because uh, another quote that I heard from Les Brown earlier this week was, if you hit the ground, just make sure it's uh, your back hits the ground first because at least you're able to look up <laughs> and, and get back up. Um, so um, that, that's that's very interesting. So So basically... To be effective in the type of environment that you are in, you have to go ahead and be able to know how to network. I think this message has been one of those ongoing messages throughout all my podcasts where you've got to find out who those SMEs are, who those people that are experts in their particular area. You want to befriend those individuals. Second, you are going to have off days. We all have off days, but you have to go ahead and keep your Chin up and keep moving forward. Don't ever stop. That's great, great information, man. Um, I really appreciate you uh, talking with us this morning. Once again, everyone, we are talking to Tim Richardson. He is a principal product development engineer for a telecommunications firm. Very large one, I might add. What resources do you actually use? You're actually saying that you do a lot of reading. Um, you talk to a lot of people. Um, you know, like this morning, I know I know that you're up pretty early in the morning actually doing research and things like this. What, how do you know that the research that you're doing or the resources that you use are actually effective for what you're doing today? I'm sorry, could you, could you, uh, restate the question? How do I know that the resources are effective? Um, right, right. How... Let me go ahead and just ask this. Uh, what resources do you actually use to help you stay, you know, in the mix work? Um, I It depends on what's being deployed or what it is we're trying to build. There are a lot of international standards organizations um, out there, and um, they often develop, um, the, you know, the IETF engineering and, and the Internet Engineering Task Force, the IEEE Standards Association, um, I mean, uh, there, there are just hundreds of them, actually. And it depends on the type of technology that's being deployed. Uh, often, uh, we start with these standards uh, to ensure vendor interoperability. Um, to build out, you know, ABC type of technology, there may be three or four or ten different vendors involved. And uh, they all operate or we all operate off of standards to ensure interoperability, to ensure that we understand uh, what the expected outcome is supposed to be. So a great deal of time is spent reading standards, um, a lot of technical documentation um, that lays out the requirements of the particular product or service, um, what the scope is, what the um, joint requirements from all the different factories that are involved, um, the network design requirements, and the configuration guidelines, um, kind of working through all the details of those. Um, and there's no There's no shortage of information. It's my challenge, actually, mostly, is making sure that I um, spend enough time uh, focusing on what really needs to be known and then turning the noise down on the things that I just simply don't have time to get to. In that process, when vendors are actually sending you all of their technical tech docs um, for you to go ahead and review, are are they are the vendors the one that's leading the technology, or is your company the one that's actually leading the technology. Are they, like, forecasting that, you know what, we're going to have, you know, this type of network in the next tech 10 years? And then you have vendors that's actually trying to build around it, or is it the vendors that's coming up with these concepts and these grandiose ideas of what the next level will be? Both. I think it's a genuine collaboration because in some cases we want to introduce a product or service, in most cases, actually, that doesn't already exist. Therefore, 
the technology, it may exist in part or in full, and it may not. Uh, in order to determine, based on the offering that we want to deliver, if that technology exists or not, we'll put out an RFI or a request for information, and it'll go to n number of vendors. That RFI will include a lot of specifications, uh, and then the expectation is that the vendors will respond with, hey, we have uh, product ABC. It has these things that support your RFI, and these are shortcomings. If you select a vendor, for example, that can meet 80% of your uh, requirements and the other 20% they cannot meet or they don't with their current product offering, you submit a request for them to develop them, uh, those uh, mm. incremental requirements in future releases. And then mm-hmm. you engage kind of in a collaboration with them. As they're developing them, you check them. You bring them into your laboratory and run tests and ensure that they're meeting the standards requirements. And then, you know, usually that's an iterative process. Right? So it's a, it's in some cases they meet them in whole. Um, but their price point may be too high, for example, right? Or um, they meet them, but not in a standards compliance way. They do it in a unique way. You have to determine whether or not you can live with that or not. So it really depends. Um, every product is a little bit different. Every service offering are new considerations. Sometimes it's a time-to-market constraint. I need it today. I may have to launch with less than what I set out to do. Um, or in some cases, you may increase your scope when you discover that there are things out there in the market that you hadn't considered um, that will either reduce your cost or speed your time to market. Uh, right now, I primarily operate in Layer 2 uh, and Layer 3. So uh, Layer 2 being uh, Ethernet, uh, metropolitan area networking, uh, Layer 3 being Internet, uh, VPN, uh, virtual private networking, um, or 3.3.5. Um, those are primarily the areas that I'm in, but there's a great deal going on with uh, software-defined networking and, and virtualization as well. Um, so I, I'm taking time to um, learn uh, those domains as well. I see. You talked about virtual private networking. Um, that's when we actually, like, for example, if I'm at home and I'm trying to get into my company's network, we can actually um, VPN into our network on a secure secure line so everything actually goes through that that line, that Internet transmission is actually secure because I'm actually connecting not directly to the Internet provider's connection, but I'm actually connecting to my computer, my, my company's network virtually. And that gives me access to their their intranet. Um, that technology alone have actually developed quite a bit over the last couple of years. I remember back in the day, maybe even like a few years ago, where you had that little token, the hard token. But now, you know, everybody's switching over, you know, to the mobile technology to be able to utilize the soft token solution. What do you think about that 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 transformation of just that? technology alone um and and is it going to even get better from the soft token solution uh perspective uh so that's a difficult question to ask i i think that your experience as an enterprise user um going between you know physical tokens and soft tokens the underlying technology is the is the same um but Mm -hmm. the the your other question about where is that going i think um uh, in the near term, I don't think it's going anywhere. Um, what enhancements will be made, um, I don't know. I really, that's not an area that's very clear to me. In fact, uh, I was reading about this yesterday, and um, at least my view, my view informed by what I've been reading, is that it's still the right type of technology for its particular application. So yes. it's not going anywhere. Um, but there are so many other changes that are happening that um, it doesn't in my view at least, mean that everything needs to change. Um, uh, you know, I was talking to you about the landline access. Um, uh, even though that as a technology is uh, well over 100 years old and um, is eroding um, in terms of the number of users who are turning up by physical landlines or POS lines, um, it still has a place. Uh, so for what it is, it's appropriate. Um, but there are many other uses, whether you're using uh, voice over IP or uh, whatever it happens to be. Um, there are lots of other ways that you can accomplish the same goal, but for what it is, it's still appropriate. And I think that's true for the case of uh, VCN networking today, at least at the enterprise level. 
Right. I, I think the concept will still be the same, but I think on a back end of that, I think that the the security aspect, the the security aspects, they'll probably become more enhanced from us as the end user who's actually typing in that secure ID that we actually get from the token. Um, that will always stay the same. It, it, it's just the 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 method that we're we're actually doing. We're going from a hard token to the soft token, where we have actually able to now either pull it up on our desktops to uh, get that VPN number um, or pull it up on our smartphones, which I find very interesting. Um, let's talk about this, man. Thanks again for joining us. You're listening to the Rabbit Hole Podcast, and today we're actually talking about network technologies. We actually have uh, Tim Richardson, who's a, I would consider a, you know, expert. He's actually a principal product development engineer. So for people who's interesting, for individuals who are interested in a career in network technology, how would you uh, suggest that they begin their careers in, in the field that you're in? What What's skills do they need? What educational um, uh, aspects do they need? What do they need to actually get started to be effective um, in the role that you're in? Um, I don't know how to uh, properly divide the world of network technology. It's It's such a large field. If you were to say, how would you get started in the medical field? Um, I would think you'd have the same problem of how do you really okay. Let, let's break go ahead down and drill down then. Let's go ahead and drill down then. As a principal product developer, I'm a young man that's listening to you right now. And you know what? I'm listening in, in awe right now. You know what? What that guy does is actually really, really cool. I want to work on that technology. I want to work on the next level of technology. I want to be in those those layers just like him. What skills do I need to start or, or, or in, in, in enhance myself to be effective or start a career as a principal product developer? Uh, okay. Well, uh, I I think it's a it's a unique. This is I think that may not be true. My gut feeling is that uh, that's kind of a this is kind of a unique area that is not the type of thing you can uh, start and go to school for, so to speak. Right? Not a established career like I want to be a, a dentist and specialize in, in being an orthodontist. Uh, it's not that type of thing. Um, there are lots of different uh, subdomains. So, for example. You want to be an engineer. You can cover routing and switching. Um, you can do data center work. Uh, you can do security work. You can become a specialist in service providers. Um, uh, virtualization. Um, you can uh, be a developer if you want to write code. Be a web developer. And, uh, uh, there's so many different uh, subdomains in which you can specialize and become an expert. Um, the area that I sit in cuts across many of them. So yes. um, it depends on which areas you have developed your background in. And from those, you kind of consult. Um, but this, that just happens to be my particular experience. Um, I think mm -hmm. a good analogy would be someone like a program manager. Um, as a, a program manager, you may be responsible for 10 or 15 uh, or maybe 20 or 30 different uh, individual or discrete projects. Some of them overlap, some of them don't. Um, you may or may not be an expert in any or all of them. They may have very different objectives, but you have a foundational knowledge enough uh, of enough of those skills that you can effectively manage all of them. So, so what you're basically um, saying is getting experience in a lot of uh, different areas where you can actually uh, um, rise up to the, the role that you actually hold. You can't just have a specialized understanding of one particular area. you got to basically kind of work in all of those areas to develop the skills and the knowledge and understanding and the, of those processes 
to you know become a uh, product developer? I'm mostly just pointing out that it's such a broad field that the path that right. I took may or may not be available. Um, if, for example, you're not in a service provider environment, then um, that doesn't mean you can't be in the industry. Uh, but the, I guess the opportunities that are available through service providers are unique. Um, and if you if you do happen to begin uh, your career or you switch into a service provider domain, even within that field, um, there are a lot of different uh, paths you can take. And um, so, you know, it just depends on where your interests are. I think you opened uh, the segment talking about that, do the things that you love. Um, it's right, a very big right. field. Um, I think often students uh, would benefit the most by selecting uh, a number one or a number two vendor in the field and then studying their technology, go through the certification mm -hmm. paths. Uh, if you were to pick, for example, a Cisco or a Juniper or Alcatel-Lucent or VMware, um, e each of them has their own path or paths, multiple paths you can take, um, but you specialize in their individual type of technology. So if you were, for example, to become a uh, CCNA or a Cisco Certified Network Associate, you learn the basics of their products and their routers and their switches and you have you know, a foundation and a familiarity with it. You can go on to the next level and become a certified professional where you know how to configure the devices. Uh, then an expert where you know how to configure and troubleshoot them. And then um, you can become a design expert where you are designing the architectures for which your experts uh, then troubleshoot and fix for which your professionals configure, for which your associates can tell other people about or your end users. So that's just one example of kind of walking through a path for that provider. However, if you go down that path with that particular vendor, then you're an expert or you could be in just that vendor's technology. There are many other vendors who provide the same function. So it isn't necessary, for example, to become an expert with uh, Juniper or some other uh, vendors because you understand the underlying technology, underlying technology from which all of the vendors, they operate off of the standards. Um, at the same time, uh, if you were to become a Cisco uh, expert, a Juniper expert, a you know, Broadcom expert, um, it would help you in the sense that you can pretty much go anywhere that has that technology deployed and um, be effective and be um, you know, gainfully employed. Um, if nothing else, as a consultant. Where do you actually see your field going in the future? As it is Apex right now, or is there still more more to come? Um, no. The, I think the industry has recently, um, again, taken a turn uh, towards software-defined networking, which is receiving a lot of buzz now. Um, and also virtualization um, has, uh, is uh, really growing as well. There are just a lot of changes. I'm, I'm almost ashamed to say because there's so many things that are happening that I'm sure that I'm not even aware of. These just happen to be things that are close to me, so I'm familiar with it. But you know, in the mobility space, uh, in the cloud space, in uh, secure space, uh, there's there are just so many uh, new developments uh, each day that um, I think to some extent we become a little bit passive about it. We're so accustomed to using your uh, a mobile phone. Who would have thought 10 years ago that uh, you could be in a stadium with uh, 20,000 people and uh, half of those people have smartphones and they're sucking down data, looking at stats, uh, sending text messages, snapping pictures, um, and they're all connected to two or three or four service providers. Um, and uh, so they're putting an enormous strain and the amount of bandwidth that's necessary to do that. That concept would have never crossed your mind 10 years ago, right. or that you'd be driving 70 miles an hour in one direction, and um, you're streaming a movie. Um, who would have thought you need to have uh, such high bandwidth available to stream movies uh, while you're traveling at a high rate, or you're multitasking. Your VPN didn't work, you're pushing data to your laptop, your kids are doing something else. Um, so the, even the needs for the application needs are evolving every day. Uh, so it, it certainly has not been made that um, where it's going, um, it's difficult even looking out 18 months um, on a day-to-day -day basis to constantly looking at what's cost-effective, uh, where the benefit could be 
uh, what should be pulled out of the program, uh, what we need to add in. Uh, that happens on a day-to-day basis. Uh, looking out one year from where I put it, go 18 months is short of a possible 10 years. I can't begin, really literally can't begin to imagine. Yeah, yeah. It's probably a whole, whole lot to actually uh, conceive right now, but I'm quite sure there's those geniuses in the background. They're, they're coming up with some cool ideas, but... Um, man, the the information that you've given me, given us, um, given our listeners this morning is just very fascinating and interesting. And this is one of the reasons why I, I love working in um, information technology. Let's go ahead and switch it up. We have roughly 15 minutes left of our conversations here. Normally in this section of the episode, this is the rapid hole. We normally go ahead and twist and turn and we talk about the future, where you are today, where you've been. Um, but really, let's go ahead and mix it up and just have some, you know, fun with some questions here. What's your favorite part of the day, Tim? My favorite part of the day is when I have made it through my entire day and home. We're um, done with homework with the kids. I'm done with the dinner, um, and I have effectively prepared for whatever my next day is. I'm not concerned about that. That's previous night. And I can actually chill. Um, that might be about for 30 minutes, 45 minutes. If I can find that 45 minutes, um, if, you know, I'm a documentary buff. I, I like to um, watch documentaries on all kinds of topics. So if I can buy myself an hour um, and I haven't skipped anything, uh, you don't see all day. Often you have to exchange time for one area uh, to buy time for another. Uh, if I haven't had to do that, and I don't have to make up time or prep for an early morning call or read something, some material to be ready for the following day, and I can really genuinely just relax, uh, that's my favorite part of the day. It usually comes around 3.30 uh, or 9 o'clock, and then I'm thinking, well, what time do I need to do that tomorrow? Can I get seven hours of sleep tonight? Uh, how much time can I have to the TV? How tired am I? I'm not really worried about doing this. Yeah. So if I can get to that point in the day, that's my favorite part. That's great. In your next lifetime, uh, what would you come back as? Well, really where my heart is, is I, my heart goes out to those who don't have the option to do other than they have to live through on a day-to-day basis. As you know, there's a bit over 7 billion people on Earth. Uh, More than half is going to live on less than two U.S. dollars per day. And um, there are a lot of people who are born into conflict situations or uh, have lifelong struggles with just day-to-day things like needing fresh drinks of water or die from curable diseases. Um, a great deal of my time and interest in research uh, now is solving those types of problems. Um, I would like to see those things happen in this lifetime. So um, I suppose if I could come back uh, in the next lifetime, it would be having the time and ability to spend on addressing those types of needs for the good. Today, I think uh, I'm dividing time between uh, my professional career, some of it's academic, most of it's kids. Um, when you get done with all of those things, uh, you kind of come last in the equation. Um, so it's hard to find enough time to really engage in the areas that matter, in my view. So um, I don't want to just help one person. I really want to solve as much of these problems as I can in this lifetime. So I would love to have right. an entire day or an entire lifetime to devote to that. Man, and, and I think what you've done so far, because I see you on a daily basis, you're you're actually you're you're actually studying, you're doing your research, you're connecting with folks, and like you said, you, you get through your entire day of dealing with work type stuff, dealing with family type stuff, dealing with home stuff dealing with personal life, but you always find some period in the day to work is, work on the things that you really, uh, that really is near and dear to your heart. And I, I think that that right there is really the key of doing the type of things that you want to do, right? You, 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 you work and you have to take care of your family, 
but then you also continue to have that that thing on the side. I wouldn't want to say it's on the side, but really it's on the side where you continue to find find hone those skills and and develop and 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 do that. I know you've been doing that type of work for over 20 years, and and I commend you. And and I appreciate all the work that you actually do. What is your favorite snack? Um, favorite snack. <laughs> Ooh, man. I guess it depends on the day, man. Um, I I don't know. Right now, you you catch me on the back end of a um, serious caffeine hike, so um, nothing <laughs> readily comes to mind, but. Um, I'm, How about know, those caramel cakes? Uh, that's my mom's specialty, but I'm I, I'm not a big sweet eater. Um, strangely enough, um, I'm really not a big sweet eater. Um, I don't know, man. I, I, this this belly I have is no accident. Don't get me wrong. I do eat. I know. Um, but I'm I putting them down, son. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Eat. I'm, not, I'm not that guy. <laughs> I'm not, um, on a day-to-day basis, it really just depends. I don't have like a favorite, like a you know, I have a, a drawer full of uh, you know caramel turtles or anything. It's not, it's not like that. <laughs> Got your stash. Uh, what's what's your favorite technology or app? My favorite technology or app. Well. Um, I live on my phone, so probably like everyone else, um, I'm constantly checking my email. Periodically, I check my uh, Facebook scroll. I keep up with my kids on on Twitter a little bit more now, on Tumblr, Instagram, Snapchat. Um, I'm a functional user. Probably my favorite app is Audible. Um, I Every moment I am driving, which I seem to be doing a lot of, I have some audio book on every day of the week. I'm constantly trying to take in the information. So it's either podcast, uh, which I subscribe to a number of them, uh, or uh, Audible. Um, those those two things I do without fail on a daily basis. But that's probably true of all of them, right? I don't know if there's really a favorite. I, I, use, uh, I use Facebook. I'm constantly on Google. I use my Fidelity app to keep up with my money and what's happening with the markets. I pulled on a number of podcasts. I'm constantly searching uh, across the Internet. I listen to uh, a bunch of music on Spotify. My text messages roll in and out. I'm trying to see what that is on Shazam. I read um, digital books on Kindle. Um, I play books on Audible. I'm on LinkedIn to see, you know, what's going on with my professional network. I tweet. I use my ADP system to check what's happening with my house. I'm on Gmail for my kids. I pull stuff down on Netflix. I mean, I use everything all day, every day. Yes. Yes. So for those of you who are listening, go ahead and rewind and listen to that entire list because, like he said, it's just amazing on how much information you can actually pull through your cell phone. All right, man. Thank you, thank you, thank you. My last question, I really want to get your perspective on this. You you are the perfect person for this right here, I feel. Can you describe what Afrofuturism is? I've never heard that uh name before, actually. I don't I don't I don't I don't I have no idea what that is. Maybe you should tell me. No, no, I'm asking you. Yeah, okay, go ahead so and break it down would, and you know, just just just, just I, see what well, you come I, up with. I, well, I can't, number one, because I've never heard of Afrofuturism. But uh, second, I'd be asking why, if it's a new term, why anybody is saying Afro rather than African. Um, I don't you know, have no idea why anybody would do that. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Afrofuturism? Huh. Uh, I'm going to actually look it up. I've never heard that term before. Afrofuturism mm-hmm. is literally a cultural aesthetic that combines elements of science fiction, historical fiction, fantasy, Afrocentricity, and magic realism with non-Western cosmologies in order to critique not only the present-day dilemmas of people of color, 
but also to revise, interrogate, and re-examine the historical events of the past. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, the last part, right. um, that may be the only thing that I can really understand where we are redefining, for example, history. I think it's been defined for us, and as we know, um, we have to reinterpret uh, the past and put it in the appropriate context. Uh, often what we get is not, uh, even if it's true, it may not be the entire truth, and that's usually the dilemma. So uh, correctly reinterpreting the past, I think, is a big deal. Um, the rest of this, um, as you know, I, I kind of maybe sit on the on the fence between uh, maybe orthodox and non-orthodox thinking. Uh, some of the stuff sounds a little hokey to me. I, I can't, you know, fantasy, Afrocentricity, magic realism. You know, uh, I, 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 I really have no opinion on Afrofuturism. Uh, okay. Okay, that's great, man. I, I, I appreciate you breaking it down, and I and I, I like just how quickly I asked you that question. Boom! Next thing you know, you're pulling up a definition of what Afrofuturism is. That's just how effective information is just at our fingertips, folks. Use your technology. Use your technology. Tim, thank you again for being a guest on our podcast. You are my motivator. My you are my you are my brother. Uh, man, I, I appreciate everything that, that that you do, man. Um, you're, you're an excellent father, uh, a superb uh, family man. I want you to continue Thank you, baby, doing bro. what you do, man. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep studying. Keep taking care of your family, man. And keep uh, motivating us all, man. There's not a day that goes by where we don't conversate at least two or three times a day. Um, you, you just yes, you, you're my dude, man. One hundred. I love you too, baby, so, bro. I love you too. So for love you too, man. So for our listeners, how can they reach you if they listen to this and you know they they want to ask you questions about technology about? Um, you can reach me at tr five one zero at att dot net. Um, and if you'd like to speak in person, they can go through you. Yes, and you can definitely reach me at. Shane, S-H-A-N-E-Z, like Zulu, the number one, at Hotmail.com. So once again, Tim, thank you for joining um, us. And for you listeners, if you have any questions, any feedback, please reach out to me at, once again, Shane, Z1, at Hotmail.com. I want your feedback. I want to know how I can better these podcasts. I want to know if I'm delivering the type of information that you want to hear. Earlier, we have podcasts that's coming from technologists in um, cloud computing. We have information coming from um, uh, radio announcers on how to you know, uh, live to your passion and understand the blessings of life. We're talking to uh, psychologists. We're talking to um, you know, individuals that are product developers in telecommunications where they actually got their fingers um, in, in the mix of technology. And you see how quick he was to actually pull up information just like that. That's how efficient um, a lot of folks are with, with the technology nowadays. So if you have any questions, please reach out to me. Um, any feedback, any critiques, please let me know that as well. Uh, we are on Blog Talk Radio. Go ahead and do a search for the Rabbit Hole Podcast or Rabbit Hole Podcast. We also have a Facebook group, Rabbit Hole Podcast, as well. You can reach us and follow us there as well. So with that, I'd like to conclude the show. And thank you all for listening. And always be curious of life to discover new experience and always envision yourself in the future. This is the Rabbit Hole Podcast. Peace. <laughs> I think you're looking too hard for it. With the double law under your garage door. Appreciate the things you work hard for. And count your blessings. Count your blessings. So don't be mad if you ain't fly, y'all. You got the means to reach a level I'm on. You should know that there's only one notch, y'all. But count your blessing. Count your blessing. And I've got students to fight And I've got news for rejoicing. Now when new sun is rising, I count my blessing. That I'm safe when I'm resting Furniture in my nesting Not by force I'm suggesting You count your blessings I've got love and assurance I've got new health insurance I've 
have got strength and endurance So walk out my blessings And give thanks to the master That through all the disaster We're still here together after Better count your blessings Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.